Hello, leaders. I'm your host, Cree Edholm. Welcome to the Leadership Looks Like podcast. So let's talk about the weather. Finally, temperatures are decreasing here in Las Vegas. And what this means is we are going to be outside at the ranch very, very soon. So in addition to hosting the Leadership Looks Like podcast, I also own Leadership Excursion Company. We do leadership training, training for managers, team building, retreats, anything that has to do with investing in what we believe is your most important asset, and that's your people. So our fall schedule is out. We invite you to visit leadershipexcursion.co forward slash schedule for more information. And one of our more popular programs is called Leadership Training for Managers. So we developed this program because most people are promoted into a management position and they never receive any training. And that could be a first-time manager. That could be that moment when you move into a director's position, uh, into a VP or an executive position, or even when you become a business owner. So what we have done is put together a two-day program. It's called Leadership Training for Managers. And we really dive into very specific details about um, how to lead, really how to lead your team. So September 20th and 21st is our next uh, Leadership Training for Managers course. We also offer the same course for private groups of three or more. Now, the exciting part about leadership training for managers is that we've incorporated our most popular excursion, our Equus excursion, into that program. So you'll have an opportunity to work with our horses. This is hands-on leadership training. You're going to learn about confidence, nonverbal communication, and you're going to be outside and you're going to be able to discover what it feels like to be a leader and practice before you go in front of your team. So uh, we can't say enough great things about this program. This is not only created by our team, but we've worked very closely with our clients. And this is just a culmination of all that feedback and all that work that we've done for the last two years. So in addition to leadership training for managers, we have a couple of Equus excursions scheduled. We have Spark Classic Women's Retreat coming up September 28th through 30th. And uh, we can't wait to see you and your team out with us this fall. So today, we're so excited to have Silo Moses on the show today. Silo was homeless at one point in his life. And what I love about today's conversation is he just gets real about what happened and um, whether or not we want to admit it, you know, a lot of us are not too far away uh, from from being homeless. You know, things tend to snowball in life. So Silo goes into those details. And what is really remarkable about his story is now he is no longer homeless, but now he feeds homeless, and uh, those who are less privileged here in Las Vegas. So you're going to hear all about what he does for the community here in Las Vegas. And he is a B Corporation. I'm not going to go into the details now because he talks about what a B Corp is. He has also opened a consulting agency that's helping other businesses become B Corps. And I hadn't learned about B Corps until this conversation today. Uh, So you'll learn all about that, a whole bunch of information about leadership and what you can also do to give back and help with the uh, very scary statistics surrounding homelessness, especially here in Southern Nevada. And with that, we welcome you to the Leadership Looks Like podcast. Join us as we explore personal stories of leaders who are making an incredible impact in their businesses, lives, and communities. Get ready to be inspired, see things from a new perspective, and learn new tools to help overcome challenges. This is what leadership looks like. Hey, Silo, welcome to the Leadership Looks Like podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited you're here. Thank you. Me as well. Yeah, so I, um, I found you on LinkedIn. Yeah. I see all the things you're up to in the community. And I reached out. You have no idea who I am until right now. Yeah. And so I appreciate you coming down to talk about your story. My pleasure. 
It's awesome. How long have you lived here in Las Vegas? Been in Vegas for eight years. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So originally moved from Jersey. Okay. And moved out here just simply because I was done with snow. That makes sense. So, yeah. And then it's figured out. Moved to Vegas because Vegas, it doesn't snow. Uh, yeah. And what's nice uh, is if you want to go visit snow, you can. You know, if you miss snow, you can go visit it. So. Exactly. It's only like, what, an hour and a half car ride into Utah? Two hours? Yeah. Like yeah. Or you can just shoot up to Mount Charleston. Or Mount Charleston. Yeah, right. which is yeah. not too far away, like 40 minutes. Yeah. Vegas is kind of neat that way. Exactly. Now, granted, they're not huge mountains or anything, you know, yeah. like, like some areas, yeah. but uh, it's still nice. Exactly. But yeah. it's good. I, you know, I love Vegas since I've been here. Vegas has been really, like, good and bad, but the bad has always been good. Yeah. Uh, but uh, for moving here without knowing anyone, I didn't know anyone, no family, no friends, no connections, just kind of moved here and started fresh. It's been really good to me. Yeah. What it, uh, brought you to Vegas? For love. Yeah. Yes. That's common. Yes. That's a common thing. <laughs> I like, you know, people answer that and they're like, and love. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it was, uh, but, you know, a funny stories. I was here on vacation. Oh, well, not really vacation. It was like work slash vacation. Uh, at the time, I was when I was living in New Jersey, I was a DJ and I had morphed into managing music artists. Uh, music artists that I thought needed radio play, but weren't getting them, weren't getting like the sufficient management that they needed to kind of break through. Mm -hmm. And so uh, one of my artists that I was managing was up for uh, Las Vegas Music Awards. They were up for Best New R&B Artist. And it was a small awards, kind of music awards thing. But it was really cool for us being from, you know, the East Coast going, wow, you're, you're recognized on the West Coast. We need to get out there and celebrate. And who cares if you win or not? Let's just get out there and promote you while we're there. Mm -hmm. So we came out here, went to the music awards, brought my artist. Uh, he ended up not winning, but he was nominated, which was really cool. We left the, the award show. We went to Rio. No, no, not Rio. Sorry. It was... Uh, it's one of the hotels that were demolished. Uh, I forget. Uh, anyhow, we went to uh, one of the casinos that were demolished on the strip. And um, we went to the, the heart bar that was there. And the heart bar was like a Latin club. And uh, we walked in. We were kind of like, it's our last night here. Let's get a few drinks before we go pass out and take our red eye back home. Went into the heart bar there. And the club slash heart bar was dead there's like no one there no one we walked in we were the only four people there and we were like well what the heck you know we're here let's just go and have a few drinks it's just us the boys anyway we don't really need a crowd or anything like that so we went in we sat down uh this beautiful woman comes over and she's like hey you know what do you guys want to drink and we gave her her drink or gave her our drink orders she walked away came back 30 minutes later, we had maybe about four drinks each. She brings a tab over, and I noticed that none of my drinks are on the tab uh, and are on the bill. And so I looked at her, and I said, hey, uh, none of my drinks are on the bill. And she goes, don't worry. I got you. I go, no, you don't understand. I can pay for my own drinks. Right. Like, where are my drinks? I want to pay for my drinks. She goes, no, I got you. And I go, what do you mean? She goes, I paid for your drinks. I go, oh, and then it finally hit me. Like, right. You know, I was like, oh, wow, she likes me. Okay. Uh, so we, uh, that night, she was like, hey, the place is closing in about 20 minutes. Obviously, there's no one here. Um, you know, I get off in 20 minutes. Would you want to hang out? Sure. So I, I sat at the bar. My friends went back to, my artists, they went back to their rooms. We hung out at the bar for, after she got off of work until about an hour before I had to leave for my red eye, which is at 6 a.m., and we were there at the heart bar at like 9 30, 10 o'clock at night. And we sat at the bar, talked the entire time. Yeah. The entire time. We just never stopped talking. Yeah. Sleep, uh, sleep is for planes, right? Exactly. <laughs> so I went back to Jersey. She gave me her phone number. We went back to Jersey and we talked for six months, twice a day, hours on end. And it got to the point where it's like, okay, someone's got to move. Right. Either I'm moving to Vegas or you're moving to Jersey. I don't know which one it was. And she's like, well, I'm not leaving Vegas. And I said, like, all right, looks like I'm moving to Vegas. So I sold all my stuff. I packed up whatever I could in my car and I drove out here. 42 hours later, I was in Vegas. And uh, her and I were together for, I've been here eight years. We were together for five years out of eight. Yeah. So it was definitely worth it. Yeah, and you decided to stay here. Yeah, and I decided to stay here. Yeah, by the time uh, you know our relationship ended, I'd already kind of built the network and friends, and we were doing some awesome things in the community. So right. I didn't see myself going anywhere else or leaving. Yeah. Has um, giving back to the community always been a part of your life? 
it, you know, it's funny. It's it, it's never been as big as a part of my life than it is now. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, I don't know how much you know about my story, but you know, uh, out of the eight years that I've been here, uh, just a few years ago, I spent seven months homeless. And uh, I didn't have a car to sleep in, so I didn't sleep in my car. I didn't have you know a couch to crash on, so I didn't have I didn't sleep on a couch. I literally squatted in abandoned buildings and ate food wherever I could find it. And before that happened to me, like uh, I wasn't really that much of a big giver. Like I always had a big heart. I just didn't have a kind of a direction to take my heart in. And after going through homelessness, I literally came out of homelessness within two weeks after getting back on my feet and back on my feet just means like a roof over my head, a little bit of food in the fridge, um, maybe like a job that's kind of paying me every week. I literally cooked up a pot of spaghetti and I went back into the homeless corridor where I used to sleep and I served 30 people with that pot of spaghetti. And as soon as I served that first 30 people with that pot of spaghetti, I finally felt like my heart had a direction to go in with the giving that I wanted to do, with contribution, giving back, right, paying it forward. And yeah, I mean, that was just kind of like the launching pad that launched us into who we are today as far as an organization that gives and all the meals that we served and the lives that we've taken off the streets. Uh, It's been really cool. Yeah, which we're going to dive into yeah. here in a minute. Um, but I'm curious to know a little bit more about that story that you just casually divulged. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, so you you you're working in the music industry. You moved to Las Vegas. Uh, how did you end up on the streets? How did you end up being homeless? Yeah, great question. So when I moved out to Vegas, I was in the music industry. There was a point where the woman that I was with, my ex, was like hey, uh, I don't like this music industry. I don't like the attention that it attracts. You're no, you don't have a regular work hours. You're, you, know, you go out at midnight, don't call them until six in the morning, right? So, and she just didn't like it, right? So she basically said, here's the ultimatum. You can choose music or you can choose me. And I said, okay, well, I guess I choose you, right? So I dumped music. Now, dumping music meant I have to go out and get a real job now. Mm-hmm. So I went out and I got a job in a call center. I'm gonna interrupt you real quick. Yeah. You said, uh, now I'm going to have to quit that and find a real job. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I think that, um, I know I'm an entrepreneur and sometimes I think that about myself where, you know, I did, I used to have a nine to five regular, right. you know, job and now I'm a business owner and that just struck me because sometimes I do think that too. Right. You know, like, well, I used to have a real job and I'm like, wait a minute. Right. I've always had a real job. I have a real job now too. Right, exactly. But it is funny how that's different. Yeah, so. it was. It it was. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, you just brought up a really good point. It is funny, and so I went out and I got a quote unquote real job. Right, right? and which means which means probably just a steadier income, right? A more consistent schedule, right? Predictability, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I got a job in a call center, and I was uh, I went from working on the phones myself to supervising to actually managing a team, and I had a team of seven reps on my team. And you know what led me into homelessness was the fact that I was living paycheck to paycheck. Mm-hmm. So kind of what comes with predictability is a predictable paycheck, right? And what comes with having something like being an entrepreneur where your money isn't predictable, sometimes you can make more in the long run, um, but you don't have that predictability, right? So it's it's kind of give and take, right? You have a job, you, if you know you're making 500 bucks a week, well, that's all you're gonna make, right? Yeah. But as an entrepreneur, you can make 5,000 a week and that's ex- excellent, right? But it takes you forever to get there and you got all this unpredictability that happens before you get there. So uh, yeah, so I was working in his call center and I was managing six, seven reps. And, you know, uh, I have a great work ethic. I was in the office, very first one in the office, last one to leave working Saturdays if I had to, you know, and I was, my team was kicking butt. We were making some awesome money for our owner, for the business. We had a huge healthcare client that we were working with at the time and they loved us. And uh, my reps were doing great too. They were making great money. I was giving them bonuses when they hit their, you know, certain criteria when they hit their marks. And, I walked into work Monday morning. We you know, we get started at nine. I was there at like seven a.m., six fifty, and I walked in. A big boss was there, and you know, um, usually you don't see the big boss, mm-hmm. right? When the big boss is there, it's either one of two things: it's like a bonus checks, 
we're all about to get paid, or B, you know, someone messed up, mm-hmm. right? So uh, I walked in before I was able to put my books down at my desk. He goes, uh, Silo, I need to talk to you in my office. So that's one of the two things that I thought. I thought, okay, either I messed up somewhere and I don't know, and I'm about to get in some really deep trouble, or he loves the work that we're doing, and I'm about to make a huge, huge pay increase, promotion, right? Mm-hmm. Something. But you don't know. It's a total no surprise idea. at this Zero. point. Zero. Yeah. So I walk into his office, and before my butt hits the seat, he goes, I got to let you go. And I go, what do you mean you have to let me go? He goes, I got to let you go. I go, well, what is it? What did I do wrong? How can I fix this? Now, by this time, by the time I'm having this conversation with my boss, I'm already, again, paycheck to paycheck. Mm -hmm. But at this time, I'm already 30 days behind on my rent and two months behind on my car payment. I had just had my son who was born. So living paycheck to paycheck, I was able to scoot by. But now that I had my son who's a baby, you have no idea how much money you spend on diapers, no much money you spend on baby food, like it's enormous amount of money that I wasn't prepared to spend. And because he needed diapers, I would have to go, okay, do I pay the utilities or do I pay for diapers? Mm-hmm. Do I uh, keep the cable on or do I buy him baby food? So, right? so it's all this kind of conversation of lack started to creep in. So I wasn't surprised when I met my boss in his office and he said he had to let me go because it was like everything else was already falling apart in my life. Right. So he says, we can't afford you. I go, okay, well, to me, that's an easy fix. I go, pay me half. I was only making 40000 a year, right? So I was like, pay me half. That's easy. I can do that. Let's do it. Because still can't afford that. I go, okay, uh, well, just throw me on the phones with my reps. I'll make $10 an hour. I don't care. Because can't do that either. I go, why? And he says, because it would confuse your reps. That would, the entire time that they're on the phones, they're going to be wondering why their manager is back on the phone sitting next to them, mm-hmm. right? And it's going to lower their production. So I said, okay, well, what do we do then? He says, well, I got to let you go. He says, he can't work today. As a matter of fact, he can't work at all anymore. He said, what I can do is I can give you a paycheck this coming Friday, and I'll pay you as if you did work the week, kind of as severance pay, but you can't work. You got to go home today. I said, okay, I can take that. Mm -hmm. 30 days behind on my rent, 60 days behind on my car payment. At least it's something to get me by over the next two weeks. Well, I went home, called my landlord, said, hey, listen, um, I, I got laid off, but good news is, my boss promised me a check on Friday. I will give you the entire check. I'll give it all to you this coming Friday. He said, this Friday? I go, yes, this Friday. He goes, okay, great. Hung up with him. Friday comes. Great work ethic. I'm at the office at 7 o'clock a.m., right? First one there. I get to the building. Huge padlock on the front door. Oh, man. So the business that couldn't afford to pay me couldn't afford to pay their own rent in the building. Right. And they ended up skipping town. And that Friday, no one got paid. Yeah. So I called my landlord. said, hey, listen, you have no idea what just happened. Um, let me tell you. He cuts me off. He goes, do you have rent? I go, yeah, but it, you, you don't understand. He goes, do you have rent? I don't. But let, okay, if you don't have rent by Monday, I'm coming with the constable. We're kicking you out. So I had two days to come up with like over $1,000. Sold everything that I had that wasn't nailed down in my apartment. <laughs> right. TVs, couches, all gone. We don't need them. By the time Monday came around, I only had like 400 bucks. You know, he was there at the constable. He says, do you have rent? I got, I got 400 because that's not a thousand. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this is, this is kind of an eye opener because how many people listening today or how, how many of us are living paycheck to paycheck? Right. It's kind of relative, right? I mean, no matter right. how much money you make or whatever the situation might be. Right. Um, just it can just take one thing like this, and you could you could potentially find yourself on the streets. Yeah, I mean, it's it's insane, and it never crossed my mind when I was like comfortable in a home with a roof and four walls and a door with a, with a lock on it that I can lock and unlock at any time. Right, like, it never crossed my mind. It's not like when you're comfortable, you sit home and you Google, "What would I do if I went homeless tomorrow?" Yeah, so we've had um, kind of a anytime we talk about homelessness on this podcast, um, Nevada specifically Southern Nevada comes up yeah. as, as a, an issue. Yeah. There is a big problem here in Southern Nevada with homelessness, yeah. with youth homelessness yeah. in particular. Do you have any stats that you can share with us? Yeah. I, I, yeah. So some of these stats might blow you away. I'm prepared. I'm and, sitting down. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're sad. 
but uh, it's, it, like you said, I guess it needs to be known. In Southern Nevada and Las Vegas alone, there's 35,000 people that are homeless. And that only accounts for those who they can count on the streets, right? So the people in the tunnels, living on streets and tents. The number of people who that they can, the census can count for is 15, 16,000, something like that. But 35,000 collectively, when you include people who live in weeklies, people who are living in their cars, you know, two families per household, uh, you know, uh, people who are living in transitional housing, those people aren't accounted for when they do the census number. Census number only accounts for people who are living on city streets. Mm -hmm. So it's how many tents they see, how many people are per tent, stuff like that. When it comes to teens and teen homelessness, the numbers are increasing by 3,000 every year. When I first started following the numbers, the numbers were around 7,000. Now, last census was close to 12,000. That's 12,000 teens that are homeless this year, last year. And it increases 3,000 per year. So next year when they do the teen homelessness count, the census, you can expect that number to be closer to 15,000. Right. Which already blows my mind. Do you know what percentage that is? Out of um, the entire... Yeah, compared to our total population here in oh, Southern Oh, I don't know. That's yeah. a good question. I'll look that up and see if I can't dig that up and, and put it in the show notes yeah. uh, for folks. But uh, just to really put perspective, it's, I mean, those those numbers are large enough. But, um, yeah. and, you know, and then that compounds the problem because I, where are, where's everybody going? How are they getting fed? How, you know, how can somebody get back on their feet? I right. mean, there's, there's just a, a real issue. And I know that you're doing a lot in the community. Um, why I'm always curious to know, why do you think people really aren't talking about this? I mean, I know that you are, Yeah. but you know, um, I've lived in Las Vegas for a very long time and this is just something that th there should be a brighter light on this subject. Right. And I'm just curious from your perspective, why, you think there might not be. Yeah. So the, the best way I can kind of sum that up is that when, you know, people ask me all the time, they say, what's the worst thing about being homeless? And I say, well, it's not necessarily, you know, the fact that you don't know when you're going to eat or what you're going to eat next. It's not necessarily having a place to go to at the end of the day, like an address. The worst part about being homeless is how you're treated while you're homeless by other people. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's the person who, when you're standing by, you know, an intersection or your sign that reads, please help. It's that person who rolls up to the stoplight or that intersection at their red light, rolls up their windows, turns their music up, picks up their phone to pretend they got a call so they don't have to acknowledge that you're standing there. Or it's that person who sees you as they're walking down the street. You're on the other side of the street at the intersection. They see you, then they cross the street and then they continue walking in the same direction on the other side of the road so they don't have to pass you. Right. right. It's that stuff. It's a stigma that's attached right. to homeless people in general. And I think people don't talk about it simply because that's the way we treat it. Yeah. Like collectively as people, that's how we treat homelessness. Like it's not there. Let's not talk about it. Let's pretend it doesn't exist. Right. And the people that are in homelessness feel it. They feel like they don't exist. They feel like ghosts walking among us. Yeah. And we live in a city that's a, a it's a tourism town. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. um, you know, city officials or we, they don't want it. They don't want that to be seen. They don't want the ugly side, so to speak. You know exactly, to, and to that's the same with every city, though. It's not just sure, Vegas, so sure. we don't want to like stigma Vegas, right? Yeah, that's a good point. So it's the same with Los Angeles. It's the same with everywhere. Anywhere mm -hmm. there, there's massive tourism. It's kind of like let's sweep it that this part of our society or community under the rug, so the people that come here and spend money don't see it, right? Which is the reason why if you go down to to Las Vegas Boulevard. And let's say you see someone who's less fortunate and you give them a sandwich. Most people don't know this, but in Las Vegas, in certain parts of Las Vegas, it's illegal to serve someone who's homeless uh, food, right? So you can get a ticket. And for the last time I checked, the ticket was $1,200 to serve someone a sandwich that's hungry. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And it, this is actually ironic, speaking of Las Vegas and stigmas, but it's actually less to get caught with a prostitute in Vegas than it is to give someone who's homeless a sandwich. Wow. The ticket is like 800, 900 bucks. Don't ask me how I know this, but it just, it, the, yeah. <laughs> they get caught doing something that bad is 900, but to serve someone who's hungry, a sandwich is 1200 bucks per ticket. Yeah. So, and if you do that in a Las Vegas strip, they enforce it more than if you do it in the royal parts of Las Vegas. The royal parts of Las Vegas, they see you serving, they're like, hey, just pack it up and, you know, get going. Mm -hmm. Right. But if you do it down by strip, it's immediate ticket and they could tow your car if they want to. Yeah. 
and we live, we talk about Las Vegas, but our Southern Nevada is really the city of Las Vegas. Then you have County, you have North Las Vegas, you have right. the city of Henderson. So it probably depends on where you are in the city too. Right. right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you, you, um, are coming out of homelessness. You're serving food yeah. to, to people in the city. And when you, when you talk about, um, tent city, where is that located in the city? Now it's everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It used to be down by Las Vegas and Owens. I mean, it's still a really dense population down by Las Vegas, uh, and Owens. Um, but it's, it's pretty much everywhere now. You can find them in Henderson. Boulder is really bad right now. Boulder city. Yeah. Boulder's really bad. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, yeah. I mean, they're everywhere now. Yeah. So Boulder city is, uh, what, 20 mile, 40 miles from Las Vegas. From, if you head towards yeah, Arizona. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's, so. it's yeah. I mean, it's a fair distance away from Las Vegas, but it's not far. Right. Right. You know, exactly. It's not far. So we'll talk about your journey to where you are today and what you're doing now to give back to the community. Yeah. So we have been really blessed. And and again, it's once my heart had a direction to go in with its giving, it's like everything just kind of opened up from there and Mm -hmm. and then multiplied. So we went from a single pot of spaghetti that served 30, you know, and we turn that into a movement now that's branched out into other cities and states, you know, within the last couple of years we've been doing this, we served over 97,000 meals locally in the Valley, all for free to those who are less fortunate. Uh, we've done weekly events where we've gone out and served food, clothing, hygiene, haircuts, you name it, love, hugs to those who are less fortunate, all for free. We've done really huge events in the, the community. Uh, last Thanksgiving, we teamed up with Gobble Gobble Give and we served uh, 4,500 meals in a single day, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so we're, we're doing a lot of good stuff. We've adopted low income schools and basically adopted means like we've taken them under our wing whenever they need anything, they can give us a call and we'll give them whatever they need, whatever supplies are running low on within 28 to 24 to 48 hours. Um, and we also started a food rescue program, right? And this is just kind of over the years, yeah, right? Cause you, you say we, there was not a we to start. There was out no with. we. Yeah. So no. how, how did it become a we? So it's, it's, that's a great question. It just happened. Yeah. It's so, just like, I was just leading with my heart and I was leading, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of what I say and communicate is starts from what I believe. Like, I believe this. Uh, I tell every, any, everyone I come across, I say, I believe no one person should ever go hungry. Mm-hmm. Like, so you're just ever. sharing the message and you're letting people know what you're up to. And, that's it. And that's how it's. The word, the word is getting out and then you're getting help. Right. Yeah. And when you start with, with what you believe, you tend to surround your people who also believe in the same thing. And then once that happens, you start to build this cohesive group of people who want to go out and do good, mm-hmm. right? And make an impact. And that's how I turned into we, right? And then I, you know, I went and served that first pot of spaghetti, served 30 people. All I did was go home and I told someone what I believed and I told them what I did. And the following Monday, they came back with me and we both served. And then they went home and told somebody what they believe in what we did and the following Monday they brought somebody back with them and we all served and we just started to grow and grow and grow right so eventually very quickly we were over 100 volunteers very quickly and we were doing events where we were having 250 people come down a week and serve with us and our lines that we were serving went from 30 to 560 people in line wow yeah. And so everybody who came down to help, did they bring their own supplies and their own food? Is, yeah. that, is that how that happened too? So they're not only donating their time, right. but they're also bringing the food down. Yeah. All the food we serve is food that uh, comes from our own kitchens. We personally cook it before we bring it down. Mm-hmm. All the hygiene products come from our you know, our cabinets and our bathrooms, right? And all the uh, haircuts are provided by uh, those who are professional hairdressers who volunteer their time outside of you know cutting hair in the salon. And... It's literally grown from just believing in something and providing a platform where other people can give as well. Mm-hmm. That's all we do is we provide the platform to give people an opportunity to make an impact. So did you, you started doing this and then have you formed a nonprofit out of this? So no, we, we actually became Benefit Corp. Okay. So, and when I was looking into it, I was like, Yeah, oh. I'm curious to learn what made you decide. <laughs> yeah, it, it, for me, it was just like, I, I, I always knew that there was a better way. You know, I, I felt like, you know, when I, when we first started, people were like, you got to go become a nonprofit. You can get donations, blah, blah, blah. I said, no, there's got to be a better way. I said, there's got to be. Like, I want to be able to, us as an organization, make an impact in the community, but I want to kind of do it my way. Right. And when you take 
you know, grants and stuff like that through your nonprofit. You know, when you take in grants, that grant money comes with strings. Mm-hmm. And those strings are, yeah, we gave you money, but you've got to spend it the way we tell you to spend it. Right. That's very true. Yeah. And I thought, oh, that's, it doesn't make any sense. Like I, I looked at it more of like in a business mind. I said, well, what if I'm able to create an organization that sells a product and part of the, the, the revenue from the products that we build and create and put out in the marketplace that are purchased? What if we're able to take that money and apply it to our cause? Mm-hmm. How much more can we do? Like if, if we ever need more money, we can just create more products, put them out in the market, get them sold and then use that money to, you know, fund our social cause. Yeah. So I started looking into like, um, benefit corporations. I don't know how it came up. I think I was, I was like lost on YouTube looking at, you know, TEDx videos and I came across, you know, corporate, you know, social responsibility. And I was like, Oh, what's that? I started looking into that and then I fell into some videos on benefit corporations. And I said, Oh, let me see if benefit corporations are, you know, acknowledged and recognized in Vegas or in Nevada. Mm-hmm. Because at the time when I was looking into it, they were only recognized by 17 states. Today, benefit corporations are recognized by 32 states. So it's growing. Right, people are starting to realize there's a better way to make an impact, and they're doing it through business, and they're doing it through benefit corporations. Mm-hmm. So when I looked into it, I was like, "Oh wow, Nevada does recognize benefit corporations. This is pretty cool." So then I went and formed. I was like, "This is the way I want to go. I want to kind of create my impact. I want to do it my way. I don't want someone telling me how to do it, where the money should be spent, or what kind of impact we can and can't create. Like if I want to serve homelessness today and tomorrow go into like adoption, I could do that. Yeah. Cause it's our funds. It's our money. Right. If I want to go leave homelessness for a second and go into maybe cleaning the ocean, cleaning up the ocean, I could do that. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, you can't do that with a nonprofit, especially with the funds that are coming in through grants because they tell you you have to spend it here and this is as much money as you can spend here and you can't spend more than that. Yeah, not only that, but with a nonprofit, you also have to have a board of directors. And, right. Yeah. Um, you know, you can be uh, named the president of the organization, but it doesn't mean that you, you know, you get to make all the decisions. You know, it has to go through the board right, and all right, of that. Right. Yeah, in addition to the grants. and Exactly. And so, um, Yeah, and I just love the idea of just using business as a tool to make an impact. Right. Right, because my long-term vision is I do want to do something with clean water. I just don't know what it is yet. Yeah. Right, so that's the long-term vision. That's 10 years from now, drilling for clean water, maybe in South Africa. Who knows? Yeah, but I have a contact for you. Nice. I, I know somebody doing that now. Nice. Yeah. Yes. She's, she's actually been uh, Stacy James with um, Dazzle Africa. She's been on the podcast. Too. Awesome. Yeah, she's doing that now. So um, it's needed. Yeah. It's absolutely needed. So I know that we went on a little segue here, but yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah so um, I'm curious to know you can make, so you can form a, a business yeah. and you can also partner with a nonprofit yeah. because there are other organizations out there who are serving, you know, homeless yeah. here in Southern Nevada or wherever, you know. So what made you decide to go this route rather than, you know, starting your own business and then partnering with an organization that's already in existence? Yeah, well, that's what we did before becoming Benefit Corp because there's a little bit mm-hmm. of a steps in the process, mm-hmm. right? Uh, if you want to become Benefit Corporation, you can go out. Uh, benefit Corporations aren't acknowledged to LLCs. So that's step one. Okay. You can't become an LLC and then expect to become a benefit corporation. You have to become an S corp and S corp is a little bit more expensive than an LLC, Mm -hmm. right? Forming an LLC is like four, four ninety five. We'll say just throwing that number out there from what I believe. And to form an LLC or S corp is like 800, 900 bucks, right? And then you have to file for benefit corporation, which is another 300 bucks. So it's a little bit of investment upfront. Um, so when we first started, I created the LLC and then we kind of flew our banner underneath existing nonprofits. And that's how we brought in donations, right? So we used their nonprofit to bring in donations and then they got the write off and we were able to make the impact in the community, bringing in donations through them. And then when I came across benefit corporations, I was like, oh, this is the answer. No more of that stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. And then I uh, went and filed for, we changed from LLC to S Corp and then became benefit. Okay. So, so you just had, kind of had to learn as you, as you went. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's crazy because all the impact that we've made in the community, I've never had a mentor, never had anyone say, this is the way you do it. It's kind of just like learning as I go. Right? Yeah. And, and today, a lot more knowledgeable than I was on you know, that, that first pot of spaghetti, right? But up from that first pot of spaghetti to today and the impact that we're making, like adopting schools and doing everything that we're doing, it's all been just grit. Right. <laughs> right. So what types of products are you selling now to help fund everything? So uh, it's cool. So we 
the first thing I did when I was thinking about what kind of products to create is I went into our volunteer base and I said, Hey guys, if we created, what products would you like to see if we were to create products to help fund our cause? And they were like, Oh, you know, we would like to see, you know, hats, maybe t-shirts, bumper stickers, you know, um, um, drawstring bags for the gym, backpacks and stuff like that. I was like, okay. All right. So started looking to some stuff. First product I created was a snapback hat. And it's just a snapback hat with our name across the front, serving mm-hmm. Hope LV. And I asked them, I was like, hey, what kind of colors do you want to see in the hat? And they were like, we'd love to see black and white and, and turquoise. And I was like, okay, cool. Where would you like to see the turquoise? We'd love to see the turquoise on the hat. What about the black on the bill? What about the stitching or whatever, the, the white stitching? Okay, great. So I took all that and mm-hmm. I went out and I looked, started sourcing for people locally who create hats. And I found this guy's hat maker, made exceptional hats here in Vegas. Great company. We worked out a, a deal where I got my hats at a certain price. And then I went back to my volunteer base. I go, guess what, guys? We've got hats and they're coming and they're mm-hmm. going to be this price, right? I searched the market. Snapback hats were going for. I don't know what they go for today. I think it's close to like 40 bucks. But at the time, snapback hats were going for like $32. If you were to go into like a retail store and buy a snapback hat, it's like 32 bucks. So I sold mine for $21.50. So, and it was like a great deal. Mm-hmm. Exceptionally looking hat. I did exactly what my volunteers wanted. I delivered to them what they needed, right? And they said, we need this, we want this, we want it to look like this, feel like this. And I gave it to them at a price that they couldn't get in a retail store. Right. So how did you get the funding to purchase that first batch of hats? Yeah, so we pre-sold the first back, first batch of go. hats. Yeah, so we went to them and we said, hey guys, if we were to make this happen, you know, uh, and they came out 2150, who would be one, wants to be the first ones to wear these hats, mm-hmm. right? And 50 volunteers stood up and said, we want to be the first ones to have hats. And I go, okay, great. And then they paid for the hats, the first round of hats. And we use that money to buy the hats, get them done, facilitated, mm-hmm. and then back into the hands of the volunteers. Yeah. I mean, if you want to do something, there's a way. Absolutely. You know, yeah. there really is. And uh, sometimes you have to be creative. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you can figure it out. You can. And yeah. then we branched out from hats to t-shirts to bumper stickers, window decals, you name it, wristbands. We started doing everything and, and you know. They they ate it all up. Yeah. yeah. So now you're you're taking those funds and you're purchasing food or, or right. clothing or whatever. Banners, mm-hmm. food, tables. There's a lot that goes to our servings, especially our community servings. Like again, we provide the platform for them to be able to make an impact in the community. But we provide that, and we also provide that platform where it's like the easiest possible way for you to come down and give all you need to do is bring food we supply everything else we supply the lighting the generators to everything the mm-hmm. tables that you can serve on napkins spoons like the trays everything we provide all of it all you have to do is bring food yeah right so and then again like for every sale we were like okay what do we need this week to serve we need an extra eight by ten table okay let's go get that what else do we need we need another 500 napkins you know a thousand spoons okay let's go buy those stuff right to to help with our gives mm-hmm. so yeah where do you serve in the valley? So now we do a f- food rescue, and the food rescue is five days a week. So food rescue is essentially we pick up food from local grocery stores, restaurants, coffee shops, you name it. We pick up their bakeries. We pick up their unsold food at the end of the day, uh, and then they give us that food for free. And then we turn around and within the same hour deliver that food into the community for free as well to families that can't afford it. And we do that five days a week. It's uh, now Monday's Tuesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. Uh, so we're very busy. Our community gives, we do them now, uh, probably once every three months or so, we like to do a give, and we do them mostly downtown. So we'll do them, you know, Ogden, like right around this area mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Uh, gobble Gobble Give, we did on 9th and Ogden. We do that on 9th and Ogden. The next community give that we're doing is going to be relatively in the same area. So, yeah, I mean, but we're, our drivers, our volunteer drivers are everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. everywhere it's like ups i kind of look at it like ups it's like we pick up a package here we drop it off there so so you depend on volunteers to help yeah to help run everything oh yeah absolutely yeah what's been your biggest challenge in all of this hmm yo the one thing i didn't expect was people uh it's so funny like i never expected this when we first started, when we first started, I was like looking at other organizations and seeing what they were doing, right? Just like in business, right? If you were to start a new cell phone company or sell a new cell phone, right? It's better than say Android or iPhone, right? First thing you would do is you'd study iPhone, mm-hmm. then you study Android. Okay. You'd see what they're doing correct. And then you see what they're not doing. 
and you'd see where you can kind of fill the void with what they're not doing, right? And make a better product, right? And get it to people more sufficiently and effectively, right? So when I started giving, it's the first thing I did is I looked at the organizations that are doing it big in the community. What are they doing? What are they not doing? How can I fill that void? You know, who's asking for that void to be filled, mm-hmm. right? And so I, I started looking into the, what they're doing, what they're not doing. And then we sort of supplying what they weren't doing. And that's kind of what helped our, helped us grow so quickly was we were providing something that they weren't doing. When they weren't serving on Saturdays, we were serving on Saturdays. When the shelters closed at 7 p.m. and the people who weren't able to get into the shelters couldn't find food, we started serving at 7.30, right? So if they couldn't make it into the shelter by 7 p.m., they can come to our give by 7.30 and still get food for the night. Right. So we started filling these little gaps as we started to grow and fill these gaps. What I didn't expect were those other organizations to start studying us. Oh, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And they started studying us and we changed everything. We created our own verbiage. We, we did some really cool stuff and we still do really cool stuff today. And we, instead of saying, you know, we'll, you'll never hear me except for this podcast, maybe once or twice, but you'll never hear me say homelessness. Like we, we don't say homeless. We say less fortunate. Okay. Right. And we use that in all of our verbiage and all of our online marketing, all of our awareness. Now, at the time when we started using less fortunate, no one was using it. It was come feed the homeless, um, come, you know, hydrate the homeless, whatever. We started saying less fortunate. And as soon as we started to take off, I started to see those other organizations that I first studied who were studying us were starting to use the words less fortunate. They're starting to steal some of our verbiage, mm-hmm. right? And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. That's so interesting. Because it was, it was like, I never expected them to kind of, um, I don't know, look at us like the example. Mm-hmm. Because then when I first started, I looked at them like the example. Yeah. Right? So I didn't expect some of the good and bad that came with that. Because when we first started serving, we started serving, and this is a true story, when we, our Monday nights, we used to call them Give Back Mondays. Very simple. Just mm-hmm. Give Back Mondays. Come down every Monday, we're giving back. Doesn't matter if it's a holiday. Doesn't matter if it's hot outside, raining, torrential downpour. We're going to be serving every single Monday, and we do. And I recognized that some of our volunteers are coming down. And they're like, hey, we went to your office and dropped off a bunch of stuff last week on Wednesday. I go, oh, that's interesting because we all still work out of our homes. <laughs> oh, wow. So I said, where is this office at? They're going, yeah, it's called Give Back Office or Give Back Mondays. And there's an office downtown. I go, really? So I was like, okay, what's their Facebook page? And they showed it to me. I was like, wow, that's insane. Like someone saw what we were doing in the community. They saw our organization. They saw our Give Back Monday starting to take off. And they went and started a nonprofit called Give Back Mondays so they can coattail the stuff that we were doing. Right. And I never, ever in a million years would have expected that. Yeah. Like someone to kind of like see what we're doing and then try to ride our coattails and be able to ride our coattails to whatever impact they're making. Yeah, and it's interesting. I kind of brought this up a little bit earlier, you know, when I was asking what made you decide to do this on your own rather than work with another nonprofit. We know the right. story. Yeah. And so somebody went and formed another nonprofit. I'm always curious to know why, let's say there's 100 nonprofits in Southern Nevada who are who are ser- serving less fortunate, those right. who are less fortunate. You know, how come we're not banding together? Yeah, you, you know, know, it's uh, I, it's I just as competitive. To, yeah, as, as, it seems like it's just as competitive in the nonprofit realm as it is in business. Absolutely, as, and if anything, business is actually like <laughs> it's so funny. You get more help in the business world than you do in a nonprofit world because of what you just said. In the nonprofit world, it's sorry, I don't know why it's so crazy, but there's this fear of overlapping services mm-hmm. where if, if we put it in a business sense, if you own like a steakhouse, I own a steakhouse and I open up a steakhouse across the street from you, it's like, okay, let's do this competition. Yeah. Let's see who can win. How are we going to differentiate each other right. from ourselves from each other? And exactly. All of that. Yeah. If now on the other opposite side, if you own a nonprofit, I own a nonprofit, we service the same community, homelessness, we'll say, right? Less fortunate. And you open one up across the street. I open up one on the other side of the street. It's immediate, like, let's kill them. It's mm-hmm. not competition. It's not like, yay, you know, friendly competition or anything like that. It's like we're overlapping services and what you're providing should not interfere with what we're providing. And it's the craziest thing. Like the nonprofit space is literally, there's, this is a very general, 
very massive statement, which I'm about to say, but I find that there's more egos in the nonprofit world than in the for-profit space. Massive egos in the nonprofit space. I don't know about that. <laughs> so, and, 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 and when we first started off, that's all I wanted to do was collaborate, and that's what we do today. It's like I know what we're good at. We're good at food, clothing, hygiene, haircuts, love, and hugs. That's what we're exceptional at. Mm -hmm. We are not therapists. We are not uh, counselors. We are not people who can get you off of your addiction. We're not people who specialize in housing. We're none of those things. So, if, But if I want to provide those as an option for those who I serve, I have to go out and find people who are excellent at doing that so I can offer that option to those who we serve. So I went out and I started collaborating. I go, hey, what do you guys do? Oh, we do housing. Great. What does that look like? Like we serve those who are less fortunate. How can I get someone to come through you? Like mm -hmm. use us as, again, a platform to be able to, or a conduit to come through us to end up to where you guys are at so they can get off the streets. And I said, well, it looks like this and that. And then I did the same thing with everything else. I went out and I reached out to counselors. I reached out to people who, who are excellent at, you know, drug addiction, alcohol addiction and getting people to, you know, get off of those things. So when I have anyone who's in line, I've got a plethora of things that I can offer them as far as options to help them get off the streets that, that we're not good at. But we know what we're good at. We're good at food, clothing, hygiene, hugs, and love. And we know that we're just the surface. We're just the beginning. Like I, like I know that once, if you're hungry, once I fill your stomach, and once you got a clean shirt on your back, then I know that's when the real work starts. It's yeah. Like, it's like now you're no longer hungry. Now what do you need? Yeah, and you bring up a good point. I mean, there's just no way that one person or one organization can fulfill all the needs of every single person. Yeah, there's no way. There's just there's, no way. There, there's no way. And it, I mean, it's just, it's like leverage, like in business, it's just like leveraging vendors, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's all it is. And it, you need that collaboration because like you said, you can't offer everything to one person. You can't mm -hmm. be you everything can't do, to one yeah, person. Yeah, exactly. You can't do everything. You just can't. Sure. But as long as you have them in the back background where it's an option for those who you service, fantastic. You don't mm -hmm. have to be the best at everything. You just have to have people who are the best at everything helping you. Yeah. So now that we have a better idea of what the big picture is of what you do and how you uh, how you form your partnerships in the community, yeah. do you have a success story that you can share with us of somebody who, um, you know, they reached out to you or they showed up to just be fed? Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. We've got oh, we got so many. Um, I'm sure there's a lot. Do you yeah. have one that comes to mind? Let's see. Um, okay. So I'll, I'll, this is a long story, but I'm going to make it really short. So. We had this guy, I'm not going to say his name. Uh, we had this guy who was in our line and we met him at our Monday night servings and he came down and we have a rule first and foremost in our line. So our line is if you show up drunk, we don't serve you. Mm -hmm. If you show up high, we don't serve you. And as a matter of fact, if you show up drunk or high, no one in line gets served. So our line literally started to turn into like its own little policing. Right. It was just and they would come to us and they were like, hey, the guy four people down from me behind me is drunk. Can you get him out of line? Because we want to eat tonight. Yeah. Right. Interesting. So they police themselves. And then so because and then, well, yeah, they police themselves. So we had this guy in line and that exact thing happened. A woman in our line came up to me and said, hey, you know, the guy behind me, four people down is, you know, I think he's high on something. You know, I brought my kids. We haven't eaten we want to eat tonight. Can you have someone, you know, go and pull him out of line or talk to him? I go, don't worry about it. I'll go talk to him. So I went and talked to him, pulled him out of line. I said, Hey man, what's your name? Gave me his name. I said, uh, is this your first time here? I knew it was cause I've never seen him in our line before. He goes, yeah, it's my first time here. I go, where are you from? Where are you camping? He told me. And, uh, within the first 30 seconds, I knew he's high. I go, Hey, listen, man, we've got a rule here. You know, it's, it's for everyone's well being. We don't serve you if you're drunk or high. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you're drunk or high in line, no one in line gets served. And um, I don't know where you're camping and if you have friends, but showing up drunk or high here and trying to get served is a quick way to make enemies because everyone in line is not going to like you. Mm. And uh, he started screaming at me, blah, 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 blah. And he was high on something. He was just like, you're an alien. Don't talk to me. You know, you're not from the, I'm from Mars. And I was like, whoa, where is this coming from? And I've seen a lot of high people in our alliance and I've never seen this before. We eventually escorted him off the property, didn't serve him. Uh, one of the people came to me and told me in line what he was on. I was like, whoa, never heard of that before. So I had, again, learning as I go. Mm -hmm. I had to research that drug and see what the side effects are and how it makes people act. So I knew how to he would act when he's in our line again and what to expect. Um, next week he comes back, high again. 
get away from me. You're an alien. He's gibberish. Now this week, he's worse than he was the week before. He's hot. He's cold temperature-wise. He would sit there in, ch- in cold sweats, sweating through his T-shirt. And I was like, what the heck is this? I don't understand what's going on here. At this time, second week, people in line are starting to notice he's showing up high. They want to eat. They're sober. They're starting to get pissed, mm-hmm. right? But I calm them down. Third week, he comes back high again, higher than ever, high as a kite, can't sit still, running, walking, sweating. And he's dangerous, too. And he's dangerous. Well, unpredictable. Yeah. Now he's starting to piss people off in line. There's four, six guys in line that literally, before I was able to get to that one guy who was high, were really, they were about to pounce on him. They were Mm -hmm. about to beat the hell out of him. Now, we've never, ever, ever once in all of our service ever had nothing, not even close to a fist fight with anyone in line at all. So this was the first time we had some kind of altercation. And so I went up to him and I saw what was about to happen. I ran over to him. I stood in between him and the guys that wanted to kick his ass. I said, hey, nobody's going to touch him. I said, he's going through some stuff right now. Have some patience. Let him go through whatever he's going through. He's only using drugs as a way to go through it. And they go, okay, no worries. And they get back in line. I told him, I, got, I was like, you need to get the F out of here. Did, you know, you're about to get your butt whooped. Yeah. Right? And don't ever come back here. Couple weeks go by, don't see him at all online. Um, and he shows up like we'll say week six, six weeks. I didn't see him. He shows up, and I see him from afar. And we've got people online. We're in the middle of the serving, in the midst of our serving, and I see him. And in the back of my mind, I go, "Okay, great, here we go again." Mm-hmm. Oh man, I was expecting this tonight. And as he's walking, I see he's walking towards me. And I go, "Oh boy." What is this? What's going to, what's about to happen here? But then almost in the same time, I realized he was walking differently. Like he was walking kind of with his chest out and his head up and he was walking as if he was sober. I go, Oh, this is really going to be interesting. So he walks up to me. He goes, Hey man. I go, I go, and he goes, I go, how are you? He goes, good. I go, um, no, really, how are you? He goes, no, I'm good. I go, are you high right now? He goes, no. Oh, okay. You're not high. He goes, no. Are you drunk? He goes, no. You're not drunk. No. So I didn't know where to take the conversation from there. Right. right? And he's not saying anything. No. <laughs> so he says, hey, man, I want to tell you something. He says, um, I got in a little bit of trouble. You probably haven't seen, and the reason you haven't seen me is because I got locked up. I was in jail for 30 days. I go, okay. He goes, uh, while I was in jail, a jail, I had an opportunity to get sober. Oh, okay. Well, good for you. Congratulations. Right. And he says, um, I got to tell you, from that entire time when I came down here, the entire time where I was on my substance, I can't remember anything. Can't remember a damn thing. He says, the one thing, the only thing that I remember is that one night when I was here, you know, six guys wanted to kick my ass that you stood in and fended for me. He says, that's the only thing I remember. And he says, I just wanted to thank you for that. That's awesome. So he is still sober today. He continues to come down to our servings and gives back with us, our volunteer events. And not only is he sober, he's off the streets, no longer homeless, in an apartment. He's got his kids back in his life. He's got a full-time job, health benefits, drives a brand, like a fairly new car, sports car, two-door convertible. Like he is completely different, completely. He's a brand new man. Yeah. Brand new man. And it all be, it came from not only our serving, but it came from someone fending for him and showing him love when the rest of the world didn't at that time in his life. Right. And that's the power of giving. That's the power of serving. Yeah. You know, it's you're already out there giving back, and it's even taking it a step further. You just don't know what the little things that can really impact people. Right. Because you're already, I mean, you can name what you do now. Right. You can put yeah. a label on it. I mean, yeah. you do it all the time. But yet there's still other things that can be done. Right. You know, and that's what yeah. happens. It's pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I have some more questions for you, but before I dive into that, I'm curious to know what what is your definition of leadership? And yeah. do you consider yourself to be a leader? It's funny. I've been called a leader, community leader, like, and these are just like, I don't know. They're just like little titles I guess people give me. I, I, yeah. I'm just doing what I love to do. Right. Right. So do I consider myself a leader? I guess a part of me does. Like you do have to have the vision. You do have to have the mission and you do have to know where you're going. You do have to lead people. They do have to follow you to get there. Uh, you know, it, it, I don't know. I don't know. I just, you know, I love making an impact. And if I have to lead to get there, I'll do that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I think if you really want to break it down, leadership is just to me. It's just you know knowing what you believe in and leading with it. It's just really that simple. Mm-hmm. And if other people follow you, then yeah, you're considered a leader. Yeah, just doing what you love to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just, yeah. That's it. So, future silo. What's happening? Yeah. With, with uh, so you're you're feeding. You continue to feed people in the valley now. Yeah. yeah. Um, you're selling product. Yeah. You're on. You're. We already know that you want to do more projects. Yeah, absolutely. So that's yeah. out there somewhere. Yeah. You know, and uh, what do you do? What's your next step now? Short term between yeah. now and you know getting to those bigger projects. Yeah, it's, it's like the more I give, the more my my definition of giving expands. So yeah, so ten years from now, love to be doing something with clean water, drilling for clean water, offering clean water to those who can, who don't have access to it. Uh, short term, what I've started to see from the success that we're having in the community and the recognition, you know, being uh, on Inc. and Entrepreneur.com and um, you know being recognized as top one hundred men in Las Vegas. It's uh, been really interesting, the people who are reaching out to us. And the people who are reaching out to us are essentially saying, hey, how could we make the impact in a social cause that you're making in homelessness? Like, I, how can we do that through business? How mm-hmm. can we do that with what we've got going on? And then, and they said, well, what have you done to reach the kind of success that you've received so far? Like, we've been giving in the community for less than five years. And I've had CEOs call me up and go, what you're doing is very impressive. Actually, you shouldn't even be seeing the type of results that you're seeing until you've been doing what you've been doing for 10 years. How are you seeing it in five I go, well, you know, we're doing this, we're doing that. Here's some of our structure. Here's what we're doing. Here's some of the processes, some of our unique methods. You know, well, would that work for us? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Let's try. Mm-hmm. Right. And then we would work with them and we'd give them some of our methods. And then, yeah, they would boom, they would just start taking off. You know, uh, some of the people I worked with are like mechanics, so mechanic shops who want to do something with, you know, single moms and maybe like offer a break service at a discount, like whatever that looks like. But that's their way of making an impact, right? Mm-hmm. And they all want to use business or leverage business as a way to make an impact in a social cause. And that started to take off. And pretty soon people were calling me for consulting ideas. And I was like, well, okay, well, you know, I guess I'm a consultant now, right? So we, so I started taking off into consultants, like into becoming a consultant and starting a consulting agency for socially good companies. And these are mission driven businesses, CEOs that want to do good mm-hmm. and they want to do good through business. Right. So they want to make the impact that they want to make in their social cause through some unique method that makes them stand out from their competition. Not only that makes them feel good. It provides a business with a purpose and it provides a business with what I call a soul. All right. It gives your business a soul. Mm-hmm. Right. Something that people can relate to. And that's been doing really well. So yeah, short term now I've moved into consulting. Uh, and it's been very rewarding. That's fun. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's another way you can grow personally too. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because when I share with them, it elevates us both. Right. Right. So it's, so it's reciprocal. It's, it's such a great reward. So, and to know that I'm indirectly now making an impact in another cause is also great too. And that they're making an impact in a cause that's dear to them is even more rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you doing to, um, to continue to educate yourself? on homelessness or business or, you know, if you have, now you're doing consulting work, if you have a client who's in an industry that you have no idea, you know, what that industry is about, what are you doing to educate yourself? Yeah. Well, I'm just repeating what I did when I started serving hope, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. What do you do? Okay. Who's the biggest competitor in your space? What do they do? How do they do it? What are they not doing? Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's go and research them and let's study and learn from them. And then let's see what makes your business different and unique and where you can fill those gaps. And then let's talk about the impact. So one of the things that I do is I help them grow and then I help them give, right? Because for me, it's like if you have $10 in your pocket and you want to give away five, cool. But if you have 10000 in your pocket and you want to give away 7000 now we're making some real steps, yeah, some real really impact. Yeah, you can do something with that, right? yeah. So the first thing I do is I go, okay, let's lay down the foundation and let's focus on sales stuff, okay? So the foundation is this. This is your give. This is the way you want to impact it. Let's map it out. But let's also make sure you're growing and profit at the same time so you can give more, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, I mean, we literally tear their business apart. We tear it down to the bare morsels, and then we build it back up so that they have a business that makes a real impact. So it's give, grow, and then, well, uh, grow, give, and then then scale. So mm-hmm. we scale our gives, we scale their growing, we scale everything. 
Now, for your business, you have volunteers that help you. Yeah. Now, for any business, how do you motivate volunteers to come work for your cause? Yeah. And, you know, knowing that it's a for-profit business, do you, is that a challenge at all? Or? No, not yeah. at all. Yeah. Because we speak from what we believe. Right. Right. So I'm not speaking to everyone. Like I'm speaking to the one person who thinks like I do. And yeah. it, right. That's it. That's all that matters. So when you speak from what you believe and other people believe in what you believe, they naturally just want to come and rally around you and help you make an impact. And they want to make an impact too. And that's why they're there. So for us, with our corporate sponsors, we have Starbucks, we have Einstein Bagels, we you know we have a, a lot of huge names, Coca Cola, right? So whenever we do our gives, we call them first and we say, "Hey, this is what we believe about this event. This is what we believe in general. Any of your employees that believe the same, please send them our way." Mm-hmm. And they reach out to their employees and they go, "You know, who wants to participate in their event? This event?" And they come down. Yeah. So yeah, and it creates a family atmosphere because we all know we have all have one vision and one mission. Right. All right, let's talk about the homeless stigma. We brought this up earlier in the conversation. What do you, what would you like people to know about those who are less fortunate or those who are homeless or just in a bad spot to help remove that stigma? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, the one thing I would, I would, I would say is understand that there are people too. Right. So, and going back to my own circumstance, you know, I went seven months without talking to a single person. Seven months without no one even saying my name. Right. Not, no human contact. And you have no phone at this point. You like, you don't have a house to go to, no neighbors. No, I actually, no I did have a phone. I did. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, I had no one, no one, no, like nothing, nothing. Just, I felt like I didn't even exist. Yeah. Like I was just a ghost, right? And the one thing that I would say is, you know, recognize that there are people too and recognize that that's how they feel. Temporary, permanent, whether they've been homeless for six months or six years, that's how they feel. And you have no idea the impact that you make just by waving at them, just by saying hello. Mm -hmm. No idea. Because that's what essentially got me off the streets was I had someone step into my life who believed in me before I believed in myself. And he used to come around every day but you're going to be something. Are you serious? I'm homeless. No, no, you're going to be something. You're going to do big things with your life. And in the very beginning, I was like, man, get away from me. You're crazy. Look at me. I'm six months homeless, wearing the same clothes, ripped, torn, dirty. I'm sure I don't smell good. Beard is blown out. It looks like a rat's nest. Mm-hmm. You need to be talking that crap to somebody else because you're not talking to me. That's not me. I'm not special. I'm not going to be someone who does some incredible things. I'm not. That's just not me. And he used to come around every day and go, no, that is you. That's going to be you. You're going to do huge things. Eventually, I started to believe him. Yeah. And when I started to believe him, my thinking started to change. I started looking at things differently. I started questioning things differently. I started making different moves, taking different actions. I started kind of leering away from those who were less fortunate, who didn't think the same way that I thought. And eventually, it got to the point where I knew if I wanted to make homelessness a temporary thing, I needed to change the way I was thinking about it. Right? It didn't help me from not having to find food in a dumpster that night, but I had to look at it differently. Mm-hmm. I had to start telling myself, this is temporary. This is temporary. Don't find a permanent solution for something that's temporary. Right? Because if I find a permanent solution and I find a place where I can find a sandwich on Thursday, I find a place where I can find a cop on a Friday, I find a place where I can get a hot soup on a Saturday, if I become part of the system, I become part of the system and it's permanent. Mm-hmm. So I stayed away from those things. And I started to fend for myself and I started to stay away from those who are less fortunate. And again, I started changing my mind and I started changing the way I looked at things. Next thing you know, I got lucky and I got lucky again. Then I got lucky again and it started to compile. And eventually I got off my feet. I got into a room for rent. I found a job and I just started to build all over again. And it's all because that one guy told me I was going to be special. Was he a stranger? He, no, he wasn't actually. So he's somebody who had already known. Yeah, but I, yeah. I haven't talked to him in years, 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 years. found years. you. And, yeah. yeah, he was just like, dude, what the heck? He never questioned what happened. He never said, are you on drugs? He never said, are you high? Because I don't drink. Well, I, I do drink now socially, but I never, I don't drink ever like too much, right? Mm-hmm. I don't do zero drugs, zero drugs. I do no drugs whatsoever. And he, he never asked, he never said that. He just, he's, he's, he talked into tomorrow. 
he didn't talk at where I was today. He talked about where I'm going to be in five years. So he's not judging you. He's not, not questioning you. None of those things. Zero. It just came from, it just, from optimism. Yes. Yeah. Right? And love, right? And that's what we provide today. Yeah. It's optimism, love. We don't judge ever. Mm-hmm. Right? And so getting back to your question, that would be a great basis to start off any conversation is don't judge, provide optimism and love. Right. Doesn't matter what's in your pocket. If you give him five bucks, give him that five bucks in love and don't judge. If you give him a sandwich, give him a sandwich in love and don't judge. Yeah. So your suggestion for, um, you know, especially in Las Vegas, oftentimes you're driving and you stop at a stoplight and there's there's somebody there. Yeah. You know, and they're asking for money or for food or something. What do you suggest you do? Wave. At the very least. Yes. Yeah. All right. Silo, thanks for coming in today thank you and this has been awesome thank yeah. you so much thank you for everything you do for the community no my pleasure it's, it's all of our pleasures right we're just doing what we're supposed to be doing that's all yeah yeah for all things silo moses visit the show notes where we have links to his consulting business we win 360 also information on serving hope which is feeding the homeless here in southern nevada and we want to thank our sponsor, Leadership Excursion Company. Don't forget to go check the leadership training and team building schedule. Um, If you want to contact Leadership Excursion Company about a custom retreat for your executive team or your nonprofit board, then we host those here in Las Vegas in Southern Utah. Visit leadershipexcursion.co. Thanks as always for tuning in and we'll see you again next week.